Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to another night's show. The night's Warren's night up, and Warren's here with me. And welcome aboard, Warren. And I'll let Warren take over. Hey, uh, Bill, how you doing tonight? Doing good. Uh, I guess I'll start tonight. I was leave, I left off on uh, insects and fishes and animals and reptiles and all that stuff. And I was on reptiles, so I'm gonna start from there. I'm on page and bottom of page 87. Uh, Secret Teachings of All Ages, Reptiles. The serpent was chosen as the head of the reptilian family. Serpent worship in some form has permeated nearly all parts of the the earth. The serpent mounds of the American Indian, the carved stone snakes of Central and South America, the hooded cobras of India, Python, the great snake of the Greeks, the sacred serpent of the Druids, the Midgard Snake of Scandinavia, the Nagas of Burma, Siam, and Cambodia, the Brazen Serpent of the Jews, and the Mystic Serpent of Orpheus, the snakes at the Oracle of Delphi twining themselves around the tripod upon which Pythian priests sat, the tripod itself being in the form of twisted serpents. And that's, of course, he's talking about the seducers, which is the medical symbol we see associated with the hospital when you see the staff with the snakes twined around it. Says the sacred serpents preserved in the Egyptian temples, the Uris quarter upon the foreheads of the pharaohs and the priests. All of these bear witness to the universal veneration in which the snake was held. In the ancient mysteries, a serpent entwining a staff was the symbol of the of the physician. The serpent wound staff of Hermes, again the seducus, remains the emblem of the medical profession. Among nearly all these ancient peoples, the serpent was accepted as the symbol of wisdom and salvation. The antipathy which Christendom feels toward the snake is based upon the little-understood allegory of the Garden of Eden. Also bear in mind that the seducus also is a symbolic representation of, 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 of uh, DNA. I bet I'll continue on. The serpent is true to the principle of wisdom for it tempts man to the knowledge of himself. Therefore, the knowledge of self resulted from man's disobedience to the Demiurgos, Jehovah. How the serpent came to be in the garden of the Lord after God had declared that all creatures which he had made during the six days of creation were good has not been satisfactorily answered by the interpreters of Scripture. The tree that grows in the midst of the garden is the spinal fire, the knowledge of the use of that spinal fire is the gift of the great serpent. Notwithstanding statements to the contrary, the serpent is the symbol and prototype of the universal savior who redeems the world by giving creation the knowledge of itself and the realization of good and evil. <clears throat> if this be not so, why did Moses raise a brazen serpent upon a cross in the wilderness that all who looked upon it might be saved from the sting of the lesser snakes? Was not the brazen serpent a prophecy of the crucified man to come? The serpent be only a thing of evil. Why did Christ instruct his disciples to be as wise as serpents? 
the accepted theory that the serpent is evil cannot be substantiated. It has long been viewed as the emblem of immortality. It is a symbol of reincarnation or metempsychosis. Again, this goes back to what I was saying about it representing the DNA, right? Because it annually sheds its skin, reappearing as a war in a new body. There is an ancient superstition to the effect that snakes never die except by violence and that if uninjured, they would live forever. It is also believed that snakes swallow themselves. Uh, you see the Ouroboros, the snake eating his tail in a loop. And this resulted in their being considered emblematic of the Supreme Creator, who periodically reabsorbed his universe back into its, back into himself. In Isis Unveiled, H.P. Blavatsky makes this significant statement concerning the origin of serpent worship. Quote, Before our globe had become egg-shaped or round, it was a long trail of cosmic dust or fire mist, moving and writhing like a serpent. This, says the explanation, was the spirit of God moving on the chaos until its breath had incubated cosmic matter and made it assume the annular shape of a serpent with its tail and its and its and its mouth. I think I mean its mouth, emblem of eternity in its spiritual and of our world in its physical sense. End quote. The seven-headed snake represents the supreme deity manifesting through his Elohim, or seven spirits, by whose aid he established his universe. The coils of the snake have been used by the pagans to symbolize the motion and also the orbits of the celestial bodies. And it is probable that the symbol of the serpent twisted around the egg, which was common to many of the ancient mystery schools, represented both the apparent motion of the sun around the earth and the bands of astral light, or the great magical agent, which move around the planet incessantly. Electricity was common was commonly symbolized by the serpent because of its motion. Electricity passing between the poles of a spark gap is serpentine in its motion. Force projected through atmosphere was called the great snake. Being symbolic of universal force, the serpent was emblematic of both good and evil. Force can tear down as rapidly as it can build up. The serpent with its tail in its mouth is a symbol of eternity. For in this position, the body of the reptile has neither beginning nor end. And they're talking about the Ouroboros here. The head and tail represent the positive and negative poles of the cosmic life circuit. The initiates of the mysteries were often referred to as serpents, and their wisdom was considered analogous to the divinely inspired power of the snake. There is no doubt that the title serpents, or seraphim, was given to one of the invisible hierarchies that labored with the earth during its early formation. There is a legend that in the beginning of the world, winged serpents reigned upon the earth. These were probably the demigods which antedate the historical civilization of every nation. The symbolic relationship between the sun and the serpent found literal witness in that life remains in the snake until sunset even though it be cut into a dozen parts. The Hopi Indians consider the serpent to be in close communication with the earth spirit. Therefore, at the time of their annual snake dance, they send their prayers to the earth spirit by first specially sanctifying large numbers of these reptiles and then liberating them to return to the earth with the prayer of the tribe. 
The great rapidity of motion manifested by lizards has caused them to be associated with Mercury, the messenger of the gods, whose winged feet uh, traveled infinite distances almost instantaneously, a point which must not be overlooked in connection with reptiles' symbolism is clearly brought out by the eminent scholar Dr. H.E. Santee in his Anatomy of the Brain and Spinal Cord. Quote, in reptiles there are two pineal bodies, an anterior and a posterior, of which the posterior remains underdeveloped, but the anterior forms a rudimentary cyclopean eye. In the Hatteria, a New Zealand lizard, it projects through the parietal foramen and, and, and presents an imperfect lens and retina and in its long stalk, nerve fibers, end quote. And it's interesting, too, I want to go back here and say how he, uh, requote, he says, the great rapidity of motion manifest by lizards has caused him to be associated with Mercury, the messenger god, whose winged feet traveled infinite distances almost in- instantaneously. Winged feet traveled infinite distances almost in- instantaneously. Think about the Flash, the super, uh, DC superhero, the Flash. He's got little yellow wings on his boots. He's red and yellow like Mercury. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see, it's even in your, mm-hmm. your comic books, local symbolism like that. Then I'll continue on. Crocodiles were regarded by the Egyptians both as symbols of Typhon and emblems of the supreme deity of the, of the latter because while underwater, the crocodile is capable of seeing Plutarch. I mean, uh, I missed my place. Hold on, let me start over. Crocodiles were regarded by the Egyptians both as symbols of Typhon and emblems of the supreme deity of the latter because while underwater, the crocodile is capable of seeing Plutarch asserts through its eyes, those eyes are covered by a thin membrane. The Egyptians declared that no matter how far away the crocodile laid its eggs, the Nile would reach up to them in its next inundation. This reptile being endowed with a mysterious sense capable of making known the extent of the flood months month before it took place. There were two kinds of crocodiles. The larger and more ferocious was hated by the Egyptians, for they linked it to the nature of Typhon. Their destroying demon. Typhon waited to devour all who failed to pass the judgment of the dead, which right took place in the Hall of Justice between the earth and the Elysium fields. Funny, Hall of Justice. That's why they use that term in Justice League, too. Anyway, says, another Todd Thompson thus described the good treatment according to the smaller and tamer crocodiles, which the Egyptians accepted as personifications of good. Quote, they were fed daily and occasionally had, had mold wine poured down their throats. Their ears were ornamented with rings of gold and precious stones, and their forefeet adorned with bracelets, end quote. To the Chinese, the turtle was a symbol of longevity. At a temple in Singapore, a number of sacred turtles are kept. Their age recorded by the carvings on their shells. The American Indians used the ridge down the back of the turtle shell is a symbol of the great divine between life and death. It's a great divide between life and death. The turtle is a symbol of wisdom because it retires into itself and is its own protection. It is also a phallic symbol, as its relation to long life would signify. The Hindus symbolize the universe as being supported on the backs of four great elephants who, in turn, are standing upon an immense turtle which is crawling continually through chaos. 
the Egyptian Sphinx, the great centaur, and the Assyrian man-bull or minotaur have much in common. All are composite creatures combining human and animal members, and the mysteries all signify the composite nature of man, especially refer to the hierarchies of celestial beings that have charge of the destiny of mankind. These hierarchies are the 12 holy animals, now known as constellations, star groups which are merely symbols of impersonal spiritual impulses. Sharon, the centaur, teaching the sons of men, symbolized the intelligence of the constellation of Sagittarius, who are the custodians of the secret doctrine, while geocentrically the sun was passing through the sign of, of Gemini. The five-footed Assyrian man-bull with the wings of an eagle and the head of a man is the, the, is a reminder that the invisible nature of man has the wings of a god and the head of a man and the body of a beast. The same concept was expressed through the Sphinx, that armed guardian of the mysteries who, crouching at the gate of the temple, denied entrance to the profane. Thus placed between man and his divine possibilities, the Sphinx also represented the secret doctrine itself. Children's fairy stories abound with descriptions of symbolic monsters, for nearly all such tales are based upon the ancient mystic folklore. Fishes, insects, animals, and reptiles are up next. Before I go on to that, um, that'll be part two. Before I go on to that, any questions? No, not really. I mean, the serpents I find interesting because if you look at symbolism in the United States, just about every capital somewhere you're going to find a serpent. <laughs> yeah, you're going to find it about everything, man. Mm-hmm. There's no coincidence. No, yeah. it's not. It's by space. Yeah. Anyway, I'll continue on. It says, As appropriate emblems of various humans and divine attributes, birds were included in religious and philosophic symbolism, that of pagans and of Christian alike. Cruelty was signified by the buzzard, courage by the eagle, self-sacrifice by the pelican, and pride by the peacock. The ability of birds to leave the earth and fly aloft toward the source of light has resulted in their being associated with aspiration, purity, and beauty. Wings were therefore, were therefore often added to various Terence creatures in an effort to suggest transcendency. Because their habitat was among the branches of the sacred trees in the hearts of ancient forests, birds were also regarded as the appointed messengers of the tree spirits and nature gods dwelling in these consecrated groves. And through their clear notes, the gods themselves were said to speak. Many myths have been fabricated to explain the brilliant plumage of birds. A familiar example is the story of Juno's peacock, in whose tail feathers in whose tail feathers were placed the eyes of Argus. Numerous American Indian legends also deal with birds and the origin of the various colors of feathers. The Navajos declare that when all living things climb to the stalk of a bamboo to escape the flood, the wild turkey was on the lowest branch and his tail feathers trailed in the water. Hence the color was all washed out. Gravitation, which is a law in the material world, is an impulse toward the center of materiality. Levitation, which is a law in the spiritual world, is the impulse toward the center of spirituality. 
seeming to be capable of neutralizing the effect of gravity, the bird was said to partake of a nature superior to other terrestrial creation, and its feathers, because of their sustaining power, came to be accepted as symbols of divinity, courage, and accomplishment. A notable example is the dignity attached to the eagle feathers by the American Indians, among whom they are insignia of merit. Angels have been invested with wings because, like birds, they were considered to be the intermediaries between the gods and men and to inhabit the air or middle kingdom between heaven and earth. As the dome of the heaven was likened to a skull in the Gothic, in the Gothic mysteries, so the birds which flew across the sky were regarded as thoughts of the deity. For this reason, Odin's two messenger ravens were called Hugin and, and Munin, thought and memory. Among the Greek and Romans, the eagle was was the appointed bird of Jupiter and consequently signified the swiftly moving forces of the Demiurgos. Hence it was looked upon as the mundane lord of the birds in contradistinction to the phoenix, which was symbolic of the celestial ruler. The eagle typified the sun in its material phase and also the immutable demiurgic laws beneath which all mortal creatures must breed, must bend, my bad. The eagle was also the hermetic symbol of sulfur and signified the mysterious fire of Scorpion, of Scorpio, the most profoundly significant sign of the zodiac and the gate of the great mystery. Being one of the three symbols of Scorpio, the eagle, like the goat of Mendez, was an emblem of the theurgic art and the secret procession process by which the infernal fire of the scorpion was transmuted into the spiritual white fire of the gods. Among certain American Indian tribes, the thunderbird is held in particular esteem, in peculiar esteem. This divine creature is said to live above the clouds. The flapping of its wings causes the rumbling which accompanies storms, while the flashes from its eyes are the lightning. Birds were used to signify the vital breath, and among the Egyptians, mysterious hawk-like birds with human heads and carrying in their claws the symbol of immortality are often shown hovering as emblems of the liberated soul over the mummified bodies of the dead. In Egypt, the hawk was a sacred symbol of the sun, and Ra, Osiris, and and horns are often depicted with the head of hawks. The cock, or rooster, was a symbol of Kashmala, or Cadmalus, in the Samothracian mysteries, and is also a phallic symbol sacred to the sun. It was accepted by the Greeks as the emblem of Ares or Mars and typified watchfulness and defense. When placed in the center of the weather vane, it signifies the sun in the midst of four corners of creation. The Greeks sacrificed a rooster to the gods at the time of entering the Eleusinian mysteries. Sir Francis Bacon is supposed to have died as a result of stuffing a fowl with snow. This is not... Uh, may this not signify Bacon's initiation into the pagan mysteries, which still existed in his day? Both the peacock and the ibis were objects of veneration because they destroyed the poisonous reptiles, <clears throat> which were popularly regarded as the emissaries of the infernal gods. Because of the myriad of eyes in its 
tied in his tail feathers, the peacock was accepted as the symbol of wisdom, and on account of its general appearance, it was often confused with the fabled phoenix of the mysteries. There's a curious belief that the flesh of the peacock will not putrefy even though kept for a considerable time. As an outgrowth of this belief, the peacock became the emblem of immortality because the spiritual nature of man, like the flesh of this bird, is incorruptible. The Egyptians paid divine honors to the ibis, and it was a cardinal crime to kill one, even by accident. It was asserted that the ibis could live only in Egypt, and that if transported to a foreign country, it would die of grief. The Egyptians declared this bird to be the preserver of crops and especially worthy of veneration because it drove out the winged serpents of Libya, which the wind blew into Egypt. The ibis was sacred to Thoth, and when its head and neck were, were tucked under its wing, its body closely resembled a human heart. See Mount Falcon's Antiquities. The black and white ibis was sacred to the moon, but all forms were revered because they destroyed crocodile legs, the crocodile being a symbol of the detested typhoon. Nocturnal birds were appropriate symbols of both sorcery and the secret divine sciences. Sorcery became black magic. So sorcery because black magic cannot function in the light of truth day and is powerful only when surrounded by ignorance or night. And the divine scientists, because those possessing the arcana, are able to see through the darkness of ignorance and materiality. Owls and bats were consequently often associated with either witchcraft or wisdom. The goose was an emblem of the first primitive substance or condition from which, from which and within which the worlds were fashioned. In the mysteries, the universe was likened to an egg which the cosmic goose had laid in space. Because of its blackness, the crow was the symbol of chaos or the chaotic darkness preceding the life of creation. The grace and purity of the swan were emblematic of the spiritual grace and purity of the initiate. This bird also represented the mysteries which unfolded these qualities in humanity. This explains the allegories of the gods, the secret wisdom, and incarnating in the body of a swan or the initiate. Being scavengers, the vulture, the buzzard, and the condor signified that form of divine power which by dropping which by which which by disposing of refuse and uh, let me that's confusing. Let me start that over. Being scavengers, the vulture, buzzard, and condor signify that form of divine power which by disposing of refuse and other matter dangerous to the life and health of humanity cleanses and purifies the lower spheres. These birds were therefore adopted as symbols of disintegrative processes which accomplish good while apparently destroying and, and by some religions have been mistakenly regarded as evil. Birds such as the parrot and raven were accorded veneration because, being able to mimic the human voice, they were looked upon as links between the human and animal kingdoms. 
The dove accepted by Christianity as the emblem of the Holy Ghost is an extremely ancient and highly revered pagan Yonic emblem. In many of the ancient mysteries, it, represent, it represented a third person of the creative triad, or the fabricator of the world. As the lower worlds were brought into existence through a generative process, so the dove has been associated with those deities identified with the procreative functions. It is sacred to Astarte, Cybele, Isis, Venus, Juno, Melita, and, Aphro- and Aphrodite. On account of its gentleness and devotion to its young, the dove was looked upon as the embodiment of the maternal instinct. The dove is also an emblem of wisdom, for it represents the power and order by which the lower worlds are maintained. It has long been accepted as a messenger of the divine will and signifies the activity of God. The name dove has been given to oracles and to prophets. Quote, the true name of dove was was Iona or Ionus. It was a very sacred emblem and a tone time almost universally received. It was adopted by the Hebrews and the mystic and the mystic dove was regarded as a symbol from the days of Noah by all those who were of the Church of God. The prophet sent to Nineveh as God's messenger was called Jonah, or uh, or the dove. Our Lord's forerunner, the Baptist, was called in Greek by the name of of Ionis, uh, and, and so was the apostle of love, the author of the fourth gospel and the apocalypse, named Ionis. Bryant's analysis of ancient mythology. In masonry, the dove is a symbol of purity and innocence. It is significant that in the pagan mysteries, the dove of Venus was crucified upon the four spokes of a great will, thus foreshadowing the mystery of the crucified Lord of Love. Although Muhammad drove the doves from the Temple of Mecca, occasionally he is depicted with a dove sitting upon his shoulder, as a symbol of divine inspiration. In ancient times, the effigies of doves were placed upon the heads of scepters to signify that those bearing them were overshadowed by divine prerogative. In medieval art, the dove frequently was pictured as an emblem of divine benediction. Any questions so far? No, not at this point. Okay, I'll continue on. The phoenix. Clement, one of the Antinocene fathers, described in the first century after Christ the peculiar nature and habits of the phoenix in, in, this, in this wise. Quote, there is a certain bird which is called a phoenix. This is the only one of its kind and lives 500 years. And when the time of its dissolution draws near that it must die, it builds itself a nest of frankincense and myrrh and other spices, into which, when the time is fulfilled, it enters and dies. But as the flesh decays, a certain kind of warmth is produced, which, being nourished by the juices of the dead bird, brings forth feathers. Then, when it has acquired strength, it takes up that nest in which are the bones of its parent, and bearing these, it passes from the land of Arabia into Egypt. 
to the city called Heliopolis. And an open day, flying in the sight of all men, it places them on the altar of the sun, and having done this, hastens back to its former abode. The priests then inspect their registers of the dates and find that it has returned exactly as the 500th year was completed. Although admitting that, end quote, although admitting that he had not seen the phoenix bird, there being only one alive at the time, Herodotus amplifies a bit that description given by Clement. Quote, they tell a story of what this bird does, which does not seem to me to be credible. That he comes all the way from Arabia and brings the parent bird, all plastered with mirror, to the temple of the sun, and therefore buries the body. In order to bring him, they say, he first forms a ball of mirror as uh, as big as he finds that he can carry. Then he hollows out the ball and puts his parent inside, after which he hovers over the opening with fresh mirror, and the ball is then of exactly the same weight as the first, so he brings it to Egypt, plastered over, as I have said, and deposits it in the Temple of the Sun. Such is the story they tell of the doings of this bird, end quote. Both Herodotus and Pliny noted the general resemblance in shape between the phoenix and the eagle. And as I've mentioned this before, because uh, Albert Pike had mentioned this in, in Mortal Darbo, which I'll read later on down the road, they have the same birds, the same symbol. So both Herodotus and Pliny noted the general similarities between in shape between the phoenix and the eagle at point a point which the reader should carefully consider for it is reasonably certain that the modern Masonic eagle was originally a phoenix. The body of the phoenix is described as having been covered with glossy purple feathers, while its long tail feathers were alternately blue and red. Its head was light in color, and about his neck was a circlet of golden plumage. At the back of his head, the phoenix had a peculiar tuft of feathers, a fact quite evident, although it has been overlooked by most writers and and symbolists. The phoenix was regarded as as sacred to the sun, and the length of its life, 500 to 1,000 years, was taken as a standard for measuring the motion of the heavenly bodies and also the cycles of time used in the mysteries to designate the periods of existence. The diet of the bird was unknown. Some writers declared that it subsisted upon the atmosphere, others that it ate at rare intervals but never in the presence of man. Modern masons should realize the special Masonic significance of the phoenix. The bird is described as using sprigs of acacia in the manufacture of its nest. It goes on. The phoenix, which is the mythological Persian rock, or is also the name of the southern constellation, and therefore it has both an astronomical and astrological significance. In all probability, the phoenix was the swan of the Greeks and the eagle of the Romans 
and the peacock of the Far East. To the ancient mystics, the phoenix was a most appropriate symbol of, Im of the immortality of the human soul. For just as the phoenix was reborn out of its own dead self seven times seven, so again and again the spiritual nature of man rises triumphant from his dead physical body. Medieval hermeticists regarded phoenix as a symbol of the accomplishment of alchemical transmutation, a process equivalent to human regeneration. The name Phoenix was also given to one of the secret alchemical formula. The familiar pelican of the Rose Croix, of the Rose Croix degree, feeding its young from its own breast, is in reality a phoenix, a fact which can be confirmed by an examination of the head of the bird. The ungainly lower part of the pelican's beak is entirely missing the head of the phoenix being far more like that of an eagle than of a pelican. In the mysteries, it was customary to refer to initiates as phoenixes, or men who had been born again. For just as physical birth gives man consciousness in the physical world, so the neophyte, after nine degrees in the womb of the mysteries, was born into a consciousness of the spiritual world. This is the mystery or of initiation to which Christ referred when he said, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of he the kingdom of God. It says John I I, I dot three. The Phoenix is a fitting symbol of this spiritual truth. European mysticism was not dead at the time of the United States of America was founded. The hand of the mysteries controlled in the, establish, in the establishment of the new government. The signature of the mysteries may still be seen on the great seal of the United States of America. Careful analysis of the seal discloses a mass of occult and Masonic symbols, chief among them the so-called American Eagle, a bird which Benjamin Franklin declared unworthy to be chosen as the emblem of a great, powerful, and prerogative people. Here again, only the student of symbolism can see through the subterfuge and realize that the American eagle upon the great seal is but a conventionalized phoenix, a fact plainly discernible from an examination of the original seal. In his sketch, The History of the Seal of the United States, Gillard Hunt unwittingly brings forward much material to, sub to substantiate the belief that the original seal carried the phoenix bird on its obverse surface and uh, the Great Pyramid of, G of Giza upon its reverse surface. In a colored sketch submitted as a design for the Great Seal by William Barden in 1782, an actual phoenix appeared sitting upon a nest of flames. It, this itself demonstrates a tendency toward the use of this emblematic bird. As he told you right there at the beginning of that paragraph, let me go back and reread that again. European mysticism was not dead at the time the United States of America was founded. The land of the mysteries controlled in the establishment of the new government, for the signature of mysteries may still be seen on the great seal of the United States of America. Careful analysis of the seal discloses a mass of occult and Masonic symbols Chief among them, the so-called American Eagle, a bird which Benjamin Franklin declared unworthy to be chosen as the emblem of a great, powerful, and prerogative people. 
says, yeah, there again, right there, it says one of the, the four billion times they told you right there that your government is in bed with secret societies. <laughs> I and know. Is, you know, I mean, all, got, all people got to be willing to do is read and connect the dots. It's right there as an open conspiracy. But yet we're conspiracy theorists, right? Oh, that's it. I mean, sorry, Warren, you got a tinfoil hat on. I'm wearing a tinfoil hat. You know, no, I actually... We're not wearing tinfoil hats. The ones that are wearing tinfoil hats are the ones that are caught telling us we are. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's what it is, man. We want to see a lot more denial as the crazier shit gets, man. I'm already seeing this. The, cra- the crazier shit gets, the more, the more people are, are, are shepherded back into uh, leaning on the government, leaning on the government. You see this because every time people get mad, they get you know, the what do they do? They the, the you know under Bush they got mad at Republicans. They voted in they voted the Democrats. They relied on the government, right? And then and they got mad at Obama and their Democrats. They they go back to the Republicans. And when you look at you know you got the Democrats who are you know all about like fucking communism and socialism and welfare dependency and all that shit, you know. And then you got you know. I mean, Republicans with their form of socialism, too. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, the, the more people get pissed off at each other, what do they do? The more people get mad at each other and start pointing fingers, who they rely on more, the government. That's right. <laughs> you know, and the government's the people that they should be going after. Yeah, but they're too dumb for that, Warren. Most of them are just too stupid. What can you say? Yes, what it is, man. Educated to be stupid. That's their so-called education. It's to become yeah. stupid. I guess so, man. I mean, I guess upside downward. You know, today they call that being intelligent, right? Being dumb is called yeah. being smart. Yep, that's what they call it. It's upside down, backwards, up on his head. Well, well, when everything collapses, man, I'm, about, I'm, I'm I can honestly say, man, I'm proud to be stupid, man. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> I'd rather be stupid than what they call smart, because what they call smart is, is what they call smart is about as dumb as you can be. Oh shit! I'll continue on. If anyone doubts the presence of the Masonic and occult influence at the time of the Great Seal was designed, he should give due consideration to the comments of Professor Charles Eliot Norton of Harvard, who wrote concerning the unfinished pyramid and the all-seeing eye, which adorned the reverse of the seal, as follows, quote, The device adopted by Congress is practically incapable of effective treatment. It can hardly uh, look otherwise than as a dull emblem of a Masonic uh, fraternity. The history of the seal of the United States. The eagle of Napoleon and Caesar and the zodiacal eagle of Scorpio are really phoenixes, for the latter bird, not the eagle, is the symbol of the spiritual victory and achievement. Masonry will be in a position to solve many of the secrets of its esoteric doctrine when it realizes that both its single and double-headed eagles are phoenixes, and that to all initiates and philosophers, the phoenix is a symbol of the transmutation and regeneration of the creative energy, commonly called the accomplished the accomplishment of the great work. 
in other words, the New World Order is what we hear out today, Great War. Plato referred to it as Great War back then. Today you hear it called the Global Agenda, the New World Order, whatever you want to call it, you know. Yeah. The double-headed phoenix is the prototype of the androgynous man. For according to the secret teachings, there will come a time when the human body will have two spinal cords, by means of which vibratory equilibrium will be maintained in the body. Not only were many of the founders of the United States government Masons, so let me repeat that there for y'all listening there, listening to this. Those who want to believe the founding fathers were fighting Masons, let me, let me repeat that here, okay? Not only were many of the founding fathers of the United States government Masons, they also received the aid and secret. They also received aid from a secret and august body existing in Europe, which helped them to establish this country for a peculiar and particular purpose, known only to the initiated few. <laughs> and what did I say about that being planned from the get-go? That's part of the plan. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Is a great seal is a signature of this exalted body, unseen and for the most part unknown, and the unfinished pyramid upon its reverse side is a is a trestle board setting forth symbolically the task to the accomplishment of which the United States government was dedicated from the day of its inception. Now I'll take comments. Nothing really to comments. say at this point. Yeah, they told you right there, man. I mean, I almost want to read that. I almost want to read that one more time, and just for people listening out there, listen to this. For all the people that believe that you're going to go back to the old days, and that the and the and, the, and the, all of the, and that the founding fathers were there to free the people and all this bullshit. That's what you believe. I want you to listen to what I'm saying here, right? Listen to this, okay? He says, "Quote: Not only were many of the founding fathers of the United States government Masons." But they received aid from a secret and august body existing in Europe, which helped them to establish this country for a peculiar and particular purpose, known only to the initiated few, those who were initiated into the the Brotherhood. As a matter of fact, if you want a good book to read about that, a book that was written before America was founded by a 33-degree Freemason, Read one by Albert Pike. This is the one I've mentioned before. It's called The New Atlantis. And he wrote that before America was founded. And he tells you about the rise of America all through that book. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that ain't no theory, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, unless you believe he just happened to magically look into his crystal ball and, <laughs> you know. But I'll continue people, on. People just don't want to see the truth. I said people just yeah, don't know, like Yeah, I know, right? Mm-hmm. I'll continue on. There's animals. The lion is the king of the animal family, and like the head of each kingdom, is sacred to the sun, whose rays are symbolized by the lion's shaggy mane. The allegory is perpetuated by the mystery, such as the one to which to the effect that the lion opens the secret book, signify that the solar power opens the seed pods, releasing the spiritual 
life within. There was also a curious belief among the ancients that the lion sleeps with his eyes open, and for this reason the animal was chosen as a symbol of vigilance. The figure of a lion placed on either side of doors and gateways is an emblem of divine guardianship. King Solomon was often symbolized as a lion. For ages, the feline family has been regarded with peculiar veneration. In several of the mysteries, most notably the Egyptian, the priests wore the skins of lions, tigers, panthers, pumas, and leopards. Hercules and Samson, both solar symbols, slew the lion of the constellation of Leo and robed themselves in his skin, thus signifying that they represented the sun itself when the summit of the celestial, the sun itself, when at the sun of, summit of the celestial arc. Uh, uh, what is that? At Bubastis in Egypt was the temple of the famous goddess Bast, the cat deity of uh, Ptolemies. The Egyptians paid paid homage to the cat, especially especially when its fur was three shades or its uh, eyes of different colors. To the priest, the cat was symbolic of the magnetic forces of nature, and they surrounded themselves with these animals for the sake of the astral fire which which emanated from their bodies. The cat was also a symbol of eternity. For when it sleeps, it curls up into a ball with its head and tail touching. Among the Greeks and Latins, the cat was sacred to the goddess Diana. The Buddhists of India invested the cat with special significance, but for a different reason. The cat was the only animal absent at the death of the great Buddha because it had stopped on its way to chase a mouse. Then the symbol of the lower astral forces should not be present at the liberation of Buddha is significant. Regarding the cat, Herodotus says, quote, Whenever a fire breaks out, cats are agitated with a kind of divine motion, which they that keep them observe, neglect, neglecting the fire. The cats, however, in spite of their care, break from them, leaping even over the heads of their keepers to throw themselves into the fire. The Egyptians then make great mourning for their death. If a cat dies a natural death in a house, all they all of they, uh, that house shave their eyebrows. That's weird. That's a weird, let me repeat that. If a cat dies a natural death in a house, all day of that house shave their eyebrows. If a dog, they shave the head and all the all of the body. They use to embalm their dead, their dead cats, and carry them to the Bastas to be entered in a sacred house. Mount Falcon's antiquities. The most important of all symbolic animals was the Apis, or Egyptian bull of Memphis, which was regarded as the sacred vehicle for the transmigration of the soul of the god Osiris. It was declared that Apis was conceived by a bolt of lightning, and the ceremony attended upon its selection 
and consecration was one of the most impressive in Egyptian ritualism. The Apis had to be marked in a certain manner. Herodotus states that the bull must be black with a square white spot on his forehead, the form of an eagle, probably a vulture, on his back, and beetle upon or under his tongue, and the hair of his tail lying two ways. Otherwise, the clear that the sacred bull was marked with 29 sacred symbols. His body was spotted. Upon his right side was a white mark in the form of a crescent. After sanctification, the apis was kept in a, in a stable adjacent to the temple and led in processionals through the streets of the city upon certain solemn occasions. It was a popular belief among the Egyptians that any child upon whom the bull breathed would become illustrious. After reaching a certain age, 25 years, the apis was taken either to the river Nile or to a sacred fountain. Authorities differ on this point and drowned amidst the lamentations of the populace. The mourning and wailing of his death continued until the new apis was found when it was declared that Osiris had reincarnated, whereupon rejoicing took the place of grief. The worship of the bull was not confined to Egypt, but was prevalent in many nations of the ancient world. In India, Nandi, the sacred white bull of Siva, is still the object of much veneration, and both the Persian and the Jews accepted the bull as an important religious symbol. The Assyrians, Phoenicians, Chaldeans, and even the Greeks reverenced this animal, and Jupiter turned himself into a white bull to abduct Europa. The bull was a powerful phallic emblem, signifying the paternal creative power of the Demiurgos. At his death, he was frequently mummified and buried with the pomp and dignity of a god in a specially prepared uh, sarcophagus. Excavations in the Serapium at Memphis have uncovered the tombs of more than 60 of these sacred animals. As the sun raising over the horizon, the vernal equinox constitutes the starry body for the animal incarnation of the sun. The bull not only was a celestial symbol of the solar man, but because the vernal equinox took place in the constellation of Taurus, was called the breaker or opener of the year. For this reason, in astronomical symbolism, the bull is often shown breaking the annual egg with his horns. The apis further signifies that the god mind is incarnated in the body of a beast and therefore that the physical beast form is the sacred vehicle of divinity. Man's lower personality is the apis in which Osiris incarnates. The result of the combination uh, is the creation of Sorapis or Serapis, the material soul as ruler of the irrational material body and involved therein. After a certain period, which is determined by the square of five or 25 years, the body of the apis is destroyed and the soul liberated by the water, which drowns the material life. This was indicative of the, of the washing away of the material nature of the baptismal waters of divine light and truth. The drowning of the apis is a symbol of death. The resurrection of Osiris and the new bull is a symbol of eternal renovation. The white bull was also...
sim- symbolically sacred as the appointed emblem of the initiates, signifying the spiritualized material bodies of both man and nature. When the vernal equinox no longer occurred in the sign of Taurus, the sun god incarnated in the constellation of Aries, and the ram then became the vehicle of the solar power. Thus the sun rising in the sign of the celestial lamb triumphs over the symbolic serpent of darkness. Lamb is a familiar emblem of purity because of its gentleness and the whiteness of its wool. In many of the pagan mysteries, it signifies the universal Savior, and in Christianity, it is a favorite symbol of Christ. Early church paintings show a lamb standing upon a little a little hill, and from his feet pour four streams of living water, signifying the four Gospels. The blood of the lamb is the solar life pouring into the world through the signs of Aries. The goat is both a phallic symbol and also an emblem of courage and or, or aspiration because of its sure-footedness and ability to scale the loftiest peaks. To the alchemist, the goat's head was a symbol of sulfur. The practice among the ancient Jews of choosing a scapegoat upon which to heat the siren, the sins of mankind, is merely an allegorical Is is merely an allegorical depiction of the sun of the sun. Okay, it's a miracle depiction of the sun man, who is scapegoat of the world and upon which cast the sins of the twelve houses or tribes of the celestial universe. Truth is the divine lamb worshipped through pagandom and slain for the sins of the world, and since the dawn of time the savior gods of all religions have been personifications of this truth. The golden fleece saw by Jason and his Argonauts is the celestial lamb, the spiritual and intellectual sun. The secret doctrine is typified by the golden fleece and the wool of the divine life, the rays of the sun or of truth. Swidas declares that golden fleece to have been, in reality, a book written upon skin, which contained the formula of the production of gold of gold by the means of chemistry. The mysteries were institutions directed for the transmutation of base ignorance and precious illuminations. I wonder if he's talking about the Book of the Dead. Because the, the dragon of ignorance was a terrible creature set to guard the golden fleece and represents the darkness of the old year, which bows with the sun at the time of its equinoctial passage. Deer were sacred in the Bacchic mysteries of the Greeks. The Bac- the Bacchantes, uh, the Bacantes were or people who worship Bacchus, were often clothed in fawn skins. Deer were associated with the worship of the moon goddess, and the Bacchic orgies were usually conducted at night. The grace and speed of this animal caused it to be accepted as the proper symbol of of, of aesthetic abandon. Deer were objects of veneration with many nations. In Japan, herds of them were still maintained in connection with the temples. The wolf is usually associated with the principle of, of evil because of the mournful discordance of its howl and, its, and the viciousness of its, of its nature. 
In Scandinavian mythology, the Ferris Wolf was one of the sons of Loki, the infernal god of the fires. With the temple of Asgard in flames about them, the gods under the command of Odin fought their last great battle against the chaotic forces of evil. With frothing jowls, the Ferris Wolf devoured Odin, the father of the gods, and thus destroyed the Odinic universe. The Odinic universe, my bad. Here, the Ferris Wolf represents those mindless powers of nature that overthrew the primitive creation. The unicorn, or Monoceros, was the most curious creation of the ancient initiates. It is described by Thomas Borman as a beast which, though doubted of by many writers, yet is by others thus described. He has but one horn, and that an exceedingly rich one, growing out of the middle of his forehead. His head resembles resembles a heart, his feet an elephant's. His tail aboard, and the rest of his body a, a, a horse. The horn is about a foot and a half in length. His voice is like the lowing of a, of an ox. His mane and hair are of a yellowish color. His horn is as hard as iron, and as rough as any as rough as any file, twisted or curled like a flaming sword very straight, sharp, and everywhere black, excepting the point. Great virtues are attributed to it, and expelling the poison, cursing, uh, expelling the poison, let me repeat that, great virtues are attributed to it, and expelling the poison and curing of of several diseases. He is not a beast of prey. See Redgrove's bygone beliefs. Well, the unicorn is mentioned several times in Scripture. No proof has yet been discovered of its existence. There are a number of drinking horns in various museums, presumably fashioned from its spike. It is reasonably certain, however, that these drinking vessels were really made either from the tusk of some large mammal or the horn of a rhinoceros. J.P. Lundy believes that the horn of the unicorn symbolizes the hymn of salvation mentioned by St. Luke, which, pricking the hearts of men, turns them to a consideration of salvation through Christ. Medieval Christian mystics employed the unicorn as an emblem of Christ, and this creature therefore signified the spiritual life in man. The signal horn of the ancient unicorn may represent the pineal gland, or third eye, which is a spiritual cognition center of the brain. The unicorn was adopted by the mysteries as a symbol of the illumined, of the illumined spiritual nature of the initiate, the horn with which it defends itself being the flaming sword of the spiritual doctrine against which nothing can prevail. In the book of Lampsbury, a rare hermetic tract appeared an engraving showing a deer and a unicorn standing together in a, in a wood. The picture is accompanied by the following text, quote, The sages say truly that two animals are in this forest, one glorious, beautiful, and swift, and a great and strong deer, and the other a, a unicorn. If we apply the parable of our art, we shall call 
the force, the body. The unicorn will be the spirit of all. The, the, the unicorn will be the spirit at all times. The deer desires no other name but that of the soul. He that knows how to tame and master them by art, to couple them together, and to lead them in and our and our form, may justly be called a master. The Egyptian devil Typhon was often symbolized by the set monster, whose identity is obscure. It has a queer snout-like nose and pointed ears and may have been a conventional hyena. The scent monster lived in the sand, the sandstorms and wandered about the world promulgating evil. The Egyptians related the howling of the desert winds with the moaning cry of the hyena. Thus, when in the depth of the night the hyena sent forth its doleful well, it sounded like the last despairing cry of the lost soul in the clutches of Typhon. Among the duties of this evil creature was that of protecting the hyena of the Egyptian dead against grave robbers. Among other symbols of Typhon was the hippopotamus, sacred to the god Mars, because Mars was enthroned in the sign of Scorpio, the house of Typhon. The ass was also sacred to this Egyptian demon. Jesus riding into Jerusalem upon the back of an ass has the same significance as Hermes standing upon the prostate form of Typhon. The early Christians were were accused of worship the head of an ass. The most curious animal symbol is the hog or so, sacred to Diana and frequently employed in the mysteries of an emblem of the occult art. The wild boar which Gord Addison's horns the use of the animal in the mysteries. According to the mysteries, the monkey represented the condition of man before the rational soul entered into his constitution. Therefore, it typifies the irrational man. By some, the monkeys is looked upon as a species not ensouled by the spirit, spiritual hierarchies. Others as a fallen state wherein man has been deprived of his divine nature through degeneracy. The ancients, though evolutionists, did not trace man's ascent through the monkey. The monkey they considered as having separated itself from the main stem of progress. The monkey was occasionally employed as a symbol of learning. Sinocephalus. The dog-headed ape was the Egyptian hieroglyphic symbol of writing and was closely associated with Thoth. Cynocephalus is a symbolic of the moon and Thoth of the planetary Mercury. Because of the ancient belief that the moon followed Mercury about the heavens, the dog-ape was described as the faithful companion of Thoth. The dog became of the dog because of its faithfulness denotes the relationship with which should exist between disciple and master, between the initiate and his god. The shepherd dog was a type of the priestcraft. The dog's ability to sense and follow and follow unseen persons for mouths symbolized the transcendental power by which the philosopher follows the thread of truth through the labyrinth of earthly error. The dog is also the symbol of Mercury. The dog star, Sirius, or 
Sotheus was sacred to the Egyptians because it presaged the annual inundation of the Nile. As a beast of burden, the horse was was a symbol of the body of man, forced to sustain the weight of spiritual constitution. Conversely, it also typified the spiritual nature of man, forced to maintain the burden of the material personality. Sharon, the centaur, mentor of Achilles, represents the primitive creation, which was the progenitor and instructor of mankind. It's described by Barassus. <coughs> <coughs> The winged horse and a magic carpet both symbolize the sacred doctrine of the spiritualized body of man. The wooden horse of Troy, secreting an army for the capture of the city, represents man's body concealing within it those infinite potentialities which will later come forth and conquer his environment. Again, like Noah's Ark, it represents the spiritual nature of man as containing a host of latent potentialities which which subsequently become active. The siege of Troy is a symbolic account of the abduction of the human soul, or Helena, by the personality, Paris, and its final redemption through preserving struggle by the secret doctrine, the Greek army under the command of Agamemnon. Okay, uh, any... Uh, any uh, comments there? I'm gonna take comments for a few minutes. I'm gonna take me a br- I'm gonna take me a brief break here for a minute from reading before I get back. So uh, just for a couple minutes. So I mean, I mean, so you got any comments so far? No, I don't myself. No. No, I mean, well, I mean, I guess it's you know pretty much. I mean, you know, a lot of us. A lot of this stuff is kind of vague. Some of it, some of it, when you go through, is very, very to the point and blatant. You know, that's kind of the way that they, that they put this stuff out there. But you see how a lot of this is dealing with nature, is nature tree. See, like I said, we're ruled by a religion. What people don't understand is all of civilizations we know it, going back as far as our history books go, has been a practice of a religion, of a psychopathic religion. And the slave religions that we're fed are just watered-down variants of that psychopathic religion. And you see this when, all the, you know, when you see it all around us. When you see, like, uh, you know, uh, you look how, how they venerate uh, nature totems and things like that. You look at, if you look at your local government, hey, you, you know, you have a state bird. You have a state tree, a state flower. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, down to days of the week, and, I mean, it's, you know, well, use yeah, your national colors. They use religion to manipulate people and control people. You know? And it, it does just that. It manipulates them into a belief, and it allows them to control them. I mean, Masonic color coded in the flags too. Like, well, there's color coded in the flag. Like, if you look at the flags, like red, white, and blue, right? You hear that representing America a lot, right? But like, here's the thing about it: red, white, and blue don't only represent America. Red, white, and blue is America. Let's see: Britain, France, Russia, Cuba, uh, fucking uh, 
Dominican Republic, uh, uh, you know, several countries in sub-Saharan Africa, I think, um, Australia. Uh, there's a whole bunch of countries that, that have red, white, and blue. When you see red, white, and blue, what that means is that's a, revolu- a revolutionary nation. Mm. Liberia, I think, is one of them. Yep. Yeah. But I mean, you know, a lot of people don't understand it. They have they, these things have 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 hidden meanings, man. There's there's hidden symbolic meanings to these things, you know. Oh no. Green, red, white, and green means it's a corporate entity, you know, uh, like like Italy or uh, or like Mexico, you know, it's red, white, and green, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's in every little thing around you, man. It's, it really is. You can't you can't escape it. It's in your comic books. It's in your. It's I mean, it's in everything, man. It's in every damn little thing. Yeah. So, I guess I'll go ahead and continue reading. Go ahead. Well, it's just like symbolism is in everything. I mean, it puts itself in people's face. Down to uh, down to the craziest angles, but even the letters we look at when we spell in the alphabet, you know, it was given to us by this system. You know, I mean, the, the languages we speak, the words we use, you know. Yeah. You know, I mean, our our entire alphabet, the numbers we use. I mean, maybe not maybe not the numeric values themselves, but but the symbols we use for them. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'll continue on. This is where we're at. Flowers, plants, fruits, and trees. The Yanni and the Thaos were worshippers by nearly all ancient peoples as appropriate symbols of God's creative power. Garden of Eden, the Ark, the Gate of the Temple, the Bell of the Mysteries, the Vesca Pisces, or the Oval Nimbus, the Holy Grail, or important Yonic symbols, which means vaginal symbols. The Pyramid, the Obelisk, the Cone, the Candle, the Tower, the Celtic Mila, the Spire, and the Campanile, the Maypole, and the Sacred Spear are symbolic of the Phallus, or the male symbol. Intriguing the Subject of preathic worship, too many modern authors uh, judge pagan standards by their own and wallow in the mire of self-created vulgarity. The the Eleusinian mysteries, the greatest of all the ancient and and secret societies, establish one of the highest known standards of morality and ethics, and those criticizing their use of phallic symbols should ponder the trenchant words of King Edward III. Some other language. He says, The obscene rites practiced by the later Bacchanalia and Dionysia were no more representative of the standards of purity originally upheld by the mysteries than the orgies occasionally occurring among the adherents of Christianity until the 18th century were representative of the primitive Christianity. Sir William Hamilton, British minister at the courts of Naples, declares that in 1780, Asernia, a community of the Christians in Italy, 
worship the phallic ceremonies, the pagan god Priapus under the name of Saint Cosmo. See two essays on the worship of Priapus by Richard Payne Knight. Uh, I spelled the K, Knight. Father, mother, and child constitute the natural trinity. The mysteries glorify the home as the supreme institution cons consisting of this trinity functioning as a unit. Pythagoras likened the universe to the family, declaring that as the supreme fire of the universe was in the midst of its heavenly body, so by analogy, the supreme fire of the world was upon its heartstones. The Pythagorean and other school of philosophy conceived the one divine nature of God to manifest itself in the threefold aspect of father, mother, and child. These three constitute the divine family whose dwelling place is creation and whose natural and peculiar symbol is the 47th problem of, of Euclid. God and father is spirit, God and mother is matter, and God the child, the product of the two, represents the sum of living things born out of and constituting nature. The seed of spirit is sown in the womb of matter, and by an immaculate, pure conception, the progeny is brought into being. Is not this the true mystery of the Madonna holding the holy babe in her arms? Who dares to say that such symbolism is improper? The mystery of life is a supreme mystery, revealed in all of its divine dignity and glorified as nature's perfect achievement by the initiated sages and seers of all ages. The prudery of today, however, declares this same mystery to be unfit for the consideration of holy-minded people. Contrary to the dictates of reason, a standard has been established which affirms that innocence, bred of ignorance, is more to be desired than virtue born of knowledge. Eventually, however, man will learn that he need never be ashamed of truth. And until he does learn this, he is false to his God to his world, and to himself. In this respect, Christianity has woefully failed in its mission. While declaring man's abide to be the living temple of the living God, in the same breath it asserts the substance and functions of this temple to be unclean, and their study defiling to the sensitive sentiments of the righteous. By this unwholesome attitude, man's body, the house of God, is degraded and defamed, Yet the cross itself is the oldest of phallic emblems, and the lozenge-shaped windows of cathedrals are proof that yonic symbols or vaginal symbols have survived the destruction of the pagan mysteries. The very structure of the church itself is permeated with phallicism. Re remove from the Christian church all emblems of priapic origin, or phallic origin, or penile origin, in other words, male, male symbols, and nothing is left. For even the earth upon it, upon which it stands, was because of its fertility, the first yonic or vaginal symbol. As the presence of these emblems of the generative processes is either unknown or unheeded by the majority, the irony of the situation is not generally appreciated. Only those conversant with the secret language of antiquity are capable of understanding the divine significance of these emblems. 
Flowers were chosen as symbols for many reasons. The great variety of flora made it possible to find some of the, find some plant or flower which would be a suitable figure for nearly any abstract quality or condition. A plant might be chosen because of some myth connected with its origin, as the stories of Daphne and Narcissus, because of the peculiar environment in which it thrived. And from Narcissus, we get the word narcissist. It says, it says uh, a plant might be chosen because of the, some myth connected to the environment in which it thrived, as the or I mean, excuse me, a plant might be chosen because of some myth connected with its origin, as the stories of Daphne and Narcissus, because of peculiar environment which it thrived, as the orchid and the fungus, because of the significant shape as the passion flower and the Easter lily, because of its brilliance and fragrance as the verbena and the sweet lavender, because of its uh, preserved its form indefinitely as the everlasting flower, because of unusual characteristics as the sunflower and the heliotrope, which have long been sacred because of their affinity for the sun. A plant might also be considered worthy of veneration because from its crushed leaves, petals, stalks, or roots could be extracted healing unctions, essences, or drugs affecting the nature and intelligence of human beings, such as the poppy and the ancient herbs of prophecy. The plant might also be regarded as, as efficacious in the cure of many diseases because of its fruits, leaves, petals, or roots bore a resemblance in shape or color to parts or organs of the human body. For example, the distilled juices of certain species of ferns, also the hairy moss growing upon the oaks, and the thistle down where said were said to have the power of growing hair. The dentaria, which resembles the tooth in shape, was said to cure the toothache, and the palma Christi plant, because of its shape, cured all afflictions of the hands. The blossom is really the reproductive system of the plant and is therefore singularly appropriate as a sample of sexual purity and absolute requisite of the ancient mysteries. Thus, the flower signifies the, the ideal of beauty and regeneration, which must ultimately take place of lust and degeneracy, which must, which must take the place of lust and, and degeneracy. Of all symbolic flowers, the locust blossom of India and Egypt and the rose of the Rosicrucians are the most important. And their symbolism, these two flowers, are considered identical. The esoteric doctrine for which the eastern lotus stands have been perpetuated in modern Europe under the form of that rose, of the rose. The rose and the lotus are yonic emblems or vaginal emblems. And when we hear yon, it means vaginal and vaginal symbols. The rose and the lotus are yonic emblems, signifying primarily the material creative mystery, while the Easter lily is considered to be phallic. Phallic means male, or phallic, you know, phallus. The Brahmin and Egyptian initiates, who undoubtedly understood the secret systems of spiritual culture, whereby the, whereby the latent centers of cosmic energy in man may be stimulated and employed, the lotus blossoms to present the spinning vortices of spiritual energy located at various points along the spinal column called the uh, chakras or whirling wheels by the Hindus. 
seven of these chakras are of prime importance and have their individual correspondences in the nerve ganglia and plexuses. According to the secret schools, the, the sacral ganglion is called the four-petal lotus, the prostatic plexus, the six-petal lotus, the epigastric plexus, the navel, and the ten-petal lotus, the cardiac plexus, the twelve-petal lotus, the, pharyn the pharyngeal plexus, and the sixteenth-petal lo uh, locus, the cavernous plexus, the two-petal lotus, the pineal gland or adjacent unknown center, the thousand-petaled locus, the the color, size, and number of petals upon the mm-hmm. Upon the huh? When you get to a break, you do have a caller. Okay, well, hold on. Let me give you just a second. Lotus are the keys to his uh, symbolic input. I'll get to just a second. I had concerning the unfoldment of spiritual understanding according to the secret science of the mysteries. It's found the story of Aaron's rod that that budded, and also in the Wagner's great opera, Townhauser, where the budding staff of the Pope signifies the unfolding blossom upon the sacred rod of the mystery. It's a spinal column. All right, go ahead. Okay, I'll go ahead and bring them in then. Okay, Paulie, you're hey. on. Hello? Hey, how you doing? Hey. Good. Hello? Hello? Yeah. Can you hear me good? This is Brandon. Can you hear me? Yeah, what's going on? Hey, how's it going, man? Good, hanging in there. My, so my mic's okay? Yeah. Okay, good, good. Um, what's going on tonight? I uh, just... Reading, man, that's it, man. Reading, um, I'm still, right now, I'm still in the same book, but. You can do that yeah, on your own time. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah. Um, what's going to happen? Well, I mean, this is relevant information, man. I'm delving, I'm delving into the occult. I know, so. I know, I know. Anyway, um, did you hear, did you, did you hear that the doctor, um, that was in one of the doctors that was in Haiti. He ratted out. This happened this week. He ratted out for um, for for not donating them or not giving them the money to help the Haitian victims after the hurricane. Um, he ratted the Clinton mm -hmm. administration out, and um, mm -hmm. he said, you know, the Clinton administration was given. Millions of dollars to, to, for for aid to go to Haiti, and he's like, he's like, we don't, we haven't seen any of that money. He's like, we're using old, we're using old medical things, whatever. He's like, and then so he he ratted out on the Clinton administration because basically what the Clinton administration does is they funnel all that money to their friends, their family, their uh, donors. Let me let you in on a little secret here, man. And yeah. and this is government period in any country anywhere you go to and all the politics or whatever it's just the way the, the way the system operates man when they say donate to this cause that we'll do this and we'll do that we'll do all these good things most of the time the the, the money is hardly ever going to go to where they tell you it's going to go to it's just more from the way to pull people's heartstrings and get people to donate their money and they're going to use the money where they want to use it for yeah but this is different you know like the Red Cross 
a big portion goes Red to CEOs. Red Cross is a bunch of corrupt, even liars, man. I can tell you horror stories. Red Cross, but, 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 but the Clinton administration is like a different level. They're like the mafia. They're like the they're like the mob. It's, well, yeah, I mean, uh, your, your whole political class is, man. I mean, you, the entire political class is like that. Uh, uh, you know, I, I mean, you know, it's even gotten, I mean, like even the third parties. I mean, granted, these, I mean, third parties are never going to really get to be voted in. But even the third parties are even fucking bought off. I remember Gary Johnson, man, how obvious he was, he was bought off by the damn liberals and shit. I mean. Now, but, but. The the here's the thing the doctor that ratted him out he was found dead in his apartment New York apartment this week he was found by his 11 year old daughter and he, uh, and you know how you know how he, and they claimed that it was suicide you know how he committed suicide by a giant knife he 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 he, he stabbed himself and the knife missed his heart so he bled out now let me ask you something how many people do you know that would commit suicide with a large knife yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say it can't be done, but it don't seem like that would be the go-to method. And especially a doctor. A doctor, first of all, the doctor knows where his heart is. That's number one. And number two, he's got a doctor has access to, to different ways to kill himself. You know, he's got access to morphine and, and all kinds of stuff. There's no way that a doctor would kill themselves with a large butcher knife. Well, yeah, well, let me ask and, you this, um, too, man. Um, uh, getting on the subject of doctors, man, so many of our doctors are, are – are, I, mean, a lot of, so I think a lot of them are just brainwashed through academia and stuff like that. But there are a lot of them that are speaking out against, like, vaccines and GMOs, and you know what's happening to them, right? I mean, you can go to a website called Mercola.com, and a lot of these are doctors that, that, that in this place are not signing off on this shit, man. But, I mean, you know uh, – and that's the way the whole scientific community these days acts. You know, they, they know how it's like such a how it's such a democracy where everybody gets to, you know, you know, peer reviewed all this bullshit. But really, what it is, man, is it's confirmation bias and and fucking, uh, you know, mob rule. I mean, you know, and the mob rule, of course, being led. I mean, so. You know what else? Um, what was I going to say? Um. Oh yeah, the media, how they reported that. They didn't even mention Hillary Clinton. They said that he had a beef with like an NFL player because an F, he like ratted out on an NFL player or something. And that's the main in New York Post, that's the main post. They didn't even mention the Hillary Clinton scandal. And that's something? Yeah. Yeah. I mean I yeah, I believe it. Makes it this proves to you, right? Surprise me, any? I mean, you know, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if you know the hard thing is going to be to prove the Clintons were behind killing the doctor, but you can bet your ass they was. Oh yeah, they're the most evil people that swallowed this earth. Let me tell you that. There's a lot oh. of shit. The, 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 I mean, back when back when Billy Boy was president, man, back in the '90s, man, there's a lot of shit that was going on in Kosovo and Bosnia and shit that we were funding. Oh, yeah. Now they don't. Well, check this out. You know, uh, you know John F. Kennedy's son, right? John F. Yeah. Kennedy Jr. Uh, real good-looking yeah. guy, very popular. And the rumor was that he was going to run for New York Senate, yeah. and um, that, that was the seat, that was the seat that Hillary got, like the next year. And he would have beat him. He he would have beat Hillary Clinton hands down. And um, when he died in a, in a plane accident, 
Bill Clinton, who's the president, had the rights to order uh, whether you know, there'd be immediate search. Bill Clinton immediately called off the search. Number one. When when they dis- when they got his body, he he, he uh, made sure that they didn't do an autopsy. He ordered that an autopsy would not be done. And that's something. Yeah, you know. Basically, probably poisoned before he got in, in the air. And the reason kill, the reason Clinton killed him because they know that they, that that uh, the boss uh, uh, he would have won against Hillary. All kinds of shit, man. There's been like you look the stuff the they fund overseas, like, man. crazy, man. Without the whole Obama administration, we've been sitting there for eight years telling how how we're inherently racist, evil approaches for being white, right? And how we're automatically Nazis just for being white, right? And then get this. Yeah. Do you know what Obama was doing? He was funding fucking neo-Nazi death squads in Ukraine. That wouldn't <laughs> surprise me. Yeah. He was, he was, he was just as, and what he did in Libya, he's just as worse than anybody. Maybe worse. He doubled the national debt. Yeah. Anything you bear in mind is, is presidents are just puppets, man. I mean, presidents don't. I mean, they have. I mean, they have enough power to be implicit. I'm not saying they're not, they're not off the hook, but but I mean, they don't. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, regardless of the president or who the president is, the president is just a puppet. Yeah. Well, they got a lot of they got a lot of power, my friend. I mean, they pick Supreme Court judges, and that's no that's no small matter. But they got marching orders; they have to follow, man. They got they got bosses; they got to answer to. Yeah, you're saying yeah, you're saying that. Um, but let me ask you this though: um, some of their policies directly go against. I can't hear you very good, man. You're not coming through very loud. All right, how about now? You hear me okay? I can hear you a little bit better. All right. Well, then let me ask you this. If what you're saying is true, then whoever gave Obama marching orders gave Trump marching orders. So why is Trump undoing – but how come Trump is undoing so much that Obama put in place? Because everything that Obama put in place – I mean, a lot of this is just – it's just politics going along. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what he's done, really undone, man. I mean, aside from Obamacare. Oh shit, man! He's like all the regulations that Obama put in place. He's he's like a, a manufacturer. He's taken away a lot of those uh, a lot of those um, regulations that you know uh, that dealt with pollution and uh, the uh, Keystone Pipeline, all kinds of shit. So if if they have the same marching orders. Why is Trump doing the complete opposite? Do you think he's going to actually get that, uh, that wall passed? Now? I don't think he is. Oh, I think he will. Because, 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 because the government has spent generations, okay, millions of dollars, into creating this border issue. They're not going to let somebody who, who works under their authority come in and undo all their work. The state yeah, you know, that bill was already, yeah. already passed from the wall in um, 2006. Um, they just never funded it. So, we're, we're, if they fund it, then we're then they'll get it. 
Yeah, basically, what I'm trying to say, man, is it's not going to happen, man. I mean, they're not going to allow that to happen. Yeah, it's just the what you see on the big stage show. Yeah. Yeah. Look, the majority of people are against the map to superhighway. They protested against it. That didn't stop the government from going through and putting it in anyways. Yeah. Yeah. um, That whole Sandy Hook thing we were talking about, what – you know, people talk. That shooting involved so many people's lives. Wouldn't people in the town be like, well, I didn't know that person was a student here. How come I never seen him before? Like how could – I don't understand like, how could they hide all those people not dying from all the other people in the community because Sandy, Sandy Hook was in mm-hmm. a, is not a big place. So how how you know people talk at barbershops and restaurants and they know people everybody especially smaller towns everyone knows each other. So why how could it be possible that they could hide it like you know where people would do the math? You have to study, study New Connecticut and understand what's really going on there for years and know what actually took place. But the one thing that just, can be backed, backed up and verified is that that school had been shut down for over five years and it was shut down due to flooding. So you have to ask yourself a simple question. How does a gunman walk into a closed-down school and shoot for a classroom full of kids that is not there? Yeah. I was just plain devil's advocate. <laughs> I know you made I mean you made a whole video about that, Bill. Yeah, well you already know how I feel about that topic, okay? You know, and if somebody I wants don't... to come somebody wants to come in and smear the truth and they suddenly ain't show no more look at the mirror and figure that out, can't they? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll continue on reading if it's all the same. Did did you like Al Franken? Bill, did you like Al Franken? Go ahead and continue reading one. Uh, So Rosicrucians used the garland of roses to signify the same spiritual vortices, which are referred to in the Bible as the seven lamps of the candlestick and the seven churches of Asia. In the 1642 edition of Sir Francis Bacon's History of Henry the Seventh, is a front piece showing Lord Bacon with Rosicrucian roses for the shoe buckles. In the Hindu system of philosophy, each petal of the lotus bears a certain symbol, which gives an added clue to the meaning of the flower. The Orientals also use the lotus plant to signify the growth of man through the three periods of human consciousness ignorance, endeavor, and understanding. As the lotus exists in three elements, earth, water, and air, so man lives in three worlds, material, intellectual, and spiritual. As the plant, with its roots in mud and slime, grows upward through the water and finally blossoms forth in the light and air, so the spiritual growth of man is upward from the darkness of base action and desire into the light of truth and understanding, the water serving as a symbol 
of the ever-changing world of illusion through which the soul must pass in its struggle to reach the state of spiritual illumination. The rose in its eastern equivalent, the lotus, like all beautiful flowers, represents spiritual enfoldment and attainment. Hence, the eastern deities are often shown seated upon the open petals of the lotus blossom. The lotus was also universal motive in Egyptian art and architecture. The roofs of many temples were upheld by the lotus column, signifying the eternal wisdom, and the lotus-headed scepter, symbolic of the self-enfoldment and divine prerogative, was often carried in religious processions. When the flower had nine petals, it was symbolic of man. When twelve of the universe and gods, when seven of the planets of the law, when five of the senses of the mysteries, and when three of the chief deities of the world, the heraldic rose of the Middle Ages generally has either five or ten petals, thereby showing its relationship to the spiritual mystery of man through the Pythagorean pentad and decad. Any questions so far? No, not at all. Okay. okay. I'll continue on. Cultus Arborum. The worship of the trees as proxies of divinity was prevalent throughout the ancient world. Temples were often built in the heart of sacred groves, and nocturnal ceremonials were conducted under the wide-spreading branches of great trees fantastically decorated and festooned in honor of their patron deities. In many instances, the trees themselves were believed to possess the attributes of divine power and intelligence, and therefore supplications were often addressed to them. The beauty, dignity, massiveness, and strength of oaks, elms, and cedars led to their adaptation as symbols of power, integrity, permanence, virility, and divine protection. Several ancient peoples, notably the Hindus and Scandinavians, regard the macrocosm, or grand universe, as a divine tree growing from a single seed sown in space. The Greeks, Persians, Chaldeans, and Japanese have legends describing the axle tree, or reed, upon which the earth revolves. Capilla declares the universe to be the eternal tree, Brahma, which springs from an imperceptible and intangible seed, the material monad. The medieval Kabbalists represented creation as a tree with its roots in the reality of spirit and its branches in the illusion of tangible existence. The Sephirothic tree of Kabbalah was therefore inverted with its roots in heaven and its branches upon the earth. Madame Blavatsky notes that the Great Pyramid was considered to be a symbol of this inverted tree with its root at the apex of the pyramid and its branches diverging in four streams toward the base. <laughs> the Scandinavian world the Scandinavian world tree world tree supports on its branches nine spheres or worlds which the Egyptians symbolized by the nine stamens of the Persia or Avocado. All of these are enclosed within the mysterious tenth sphere or cosmic egg, 
the, defin the definitionless cipher of the mysteries. The Kabbalistic tree of the Jews also consists of nine branches or worlds emanating from the first cause or crown, which surrounds the emanations as the shell surrounds the egg. The single source of life and endless diversity of its expression has a perfect analogy in the structure of the tree. The trunk represents the single origin of all diversity. The root, deeply embedded in the, in the dark earth, are symbolic of divine nutriment and its, and its multiplicity of branches spreading from the central trunk represent the affinity of universal effect dependent upon this, a single cause. The tree has also been accepted as symbolic of the microcosm, that is, man. According to the esoteric doctrine, man first exists potentially within the body of the world tree and later blossoms forth into objective manifestation upon its branches. According to an early Greek mystery myth, the god Zeus fabricated the third race of men from ash trees. The serpent, so often shown and wound around the trunk of the tree, usually signifies the mind, the power of thought, and is the eternal tempter or urge which leads all rational creatures to the ultimate discovery of reality, and thus overthrows the rule of the gods. The serpent hidden in the foliage of the universal tree represents the cosmic mind, and the human tree, the individualized intellect. The conqueror that all life originates from the concept that all life originates from seeds caused grain and various plants to be accepted as emblematic of the human spermatozoon, and the tree was therefore symbolic of organized life unfolding from its primitive germ. The growth of the universe from its primitive seed may be likened to the growth of the mighty oak from the tiny acorn. While the tree is apparently much greater than its own source, Nevertheless, that source contains potentially every branch, twig, and leaf, which will later be objectively unfolded by the process of growth. Man's veneration for trees as symbols of the abstract qualities of wisdom and integrity also led him to designate as trees those individuals who possess these divine qualities to an apparently superhuman degree. Highly illumined philosophers and priests were therefore often referred to as trees or tree men. For example, the Druids, whose name, according to one interpretation, signifies the men of the oak trees or the initiates of certain Syrian mysteries were, who were called cedars. In fact, it is far more credible and probable that the famous cedars of Lebanon cut down for the building of King Solomon's temple were really illumined initiated sages. The mystic knows that the true support of God's glorious house were not the logos, were not were not the logs subject to decay, but the immortal and imperishable intellects of the tree hierophants. Trees were repeated were repeatedly mentioned in the Old and New Testament and in the scriptures of various pagan nations. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil mentioned in Genesis, the burning bush in which the angels appeared in Moses to, to Moses. The famous vine and fig tree of the New Testament, the grove of olives in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus went to pray, and the miraculous tree of Revelation, which bore twelve matters of fruit and whose leaves were for the healing of the nations. 
all bear witness to the esteem in which trees were held by the scribes of Holy Writ. Buddha received his illumination while under the Bodhi tree near Madras in India, and several of the eastern gods are, picked, are pictured sitting in meditation beneath the spreading branches of Mahdi trees. Many of the great sages and saviors carried wands, rods, and staves cut from the wood of sacred trees. That's the rods of Moses and Aaron. Gungnir, the spirit of the spear of Odin, cut from the tree of life, and the consecrated rod of Hermes, around which the fighting serpents intertwine themselves. The numerous uses which the ancients made of the tree and its products are factors in its symbolism. And the worship was, to a certain degree, based upon its usefulness. Of this, J.P. Lundy writes, Trees occupy such an important place in the economy of nature by way of attracting and retaining moisture and shedding the water sources and the soil so as to prevent bareness and desolation are so useful to man for shade or fruit or medicine for fuel for building houses and ships for furniture and for almost every department of life that is no wonder that some of the more conspicuous ones such as oak and pine and palm and the sycamore have been made sacred and used for worship see monumental Christianity the early fathers of the church sometimes used the tree uh, to symbolize Christ. They believed that ultimately Christianity would grow up like a mighty oak and overshadow all other faiths of mankind. Because it annually discards its foliage, the tree was also looked upon as an, as an appropriate emblem of resurrection and reincarnation. For though apparently dying each fall, it blossomed forth again with renewed verdure at each ensuing spring. Bear in mind also the idea of the Christmas tree, but I'll continue on. Under the appellation of the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil is concealed the great arcanum of antiquity, the mystery of equilibrium. The tree of life represents the spiritual point of balance, the secret of immortality. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as its name implies, represents polarity or unbalance, the secret of the secret of mortality. The Kabbalists reveal this by assigning the central column of their Sephirothic uh, diagram to the tree of life, and the two side branches to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Unbalanced forces perish in the void, declares the secret work and all is made known. The apple represents the knowledge of the procreative processes by the awakening of which the material universe was, was established. The allegory of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is a cosmic myth, revealing the method of universal and individual establishment. The literal story accepted for so many centuries by an unthinking world is preposterous, but the creative mystery of which it is the symbol is one of nature's profoundest varieties. The, the, the Ophides, or serpent worshippers, revered the, the Edenic snake because it was the cause of individual existence. Though humanity is still wandering in a world of good and evil, it will ultimately attain completion and eat of the fruit of the tree of life growing in the midst of the illusionary garden of worldly things. Thus, the tree of life is also the appointed symbol of the mysteries, and by partaking of it, the fruit, fruit man may 
uh, partaking of this fruit attains immortality. Though the pine, the ash, the cypress, and the palm are the five trees of greatest symbolic importance, the Father God of the Mysteries was often worshipped under the form of an oak, and the Savior God frequently the word of martyr in the form of pine, the the word axis and divine nature of humanity in the form of ash, the good, the goodness or material principle in the form of cypress, and the positive pole of generation in the form of inflorescence or the date palm. The pine cone is a phallic symbol of remote antiquity. The thyrsus a bacchus, a long wand or staff surmounted by a pine cone or cluster of grapes and entwined with ivy or grapevine leaves, sometimes ribbons signified that the wonder uh, the, the wonders of nature may only be accompanied by the aid of solar virility as symbolized by the cone or grapes. In the Phrygian Mysteries, Attis, the ever-present sun savior, dies under the branches of the pine tree and alludes to a solar globe of the winter solstice, and for this reason the pine tree was sacred to his cold. This tree was also sacred in the Mysteries of Dionysus and Apollo. Among the ancient Egyptians and Jews, the, uh, the acacia, or tamarisk, was held the highest religious esteem among the modern Masons. Branches of acacia, cypress, cedar, or evergreen are still regarded as most significant emblems. The shittim wood used by the children of Israel in the construction of the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant was a species of acacia. In describing this sacred tree, this sacred tree Albert Pike has written, the the genuine acacia also is the thorny tamarisk, the same tree which grew around the body of Osiris. It was a sacred tree among the Arabs who made of it the idol Aluza, which Muhammad destroyed. It is abundant as a bush in the desert of Thor, of Thur, and of it the crown of thorns was composed, which was set on the forehead of Jesus of Nazareth. It is a fit type of immortality on account of its tenacity of life, for it has been known when planted at a doorpost, take root again and shoot out budding boughs above the threshold. It is quite possible that much of the veneration accorded to the acacia is due to the peculiar attributes of the, of the mimosa, or sense of a plant with which it is often identified by the ancients. There is a Coptic legend to the effect that the sensitive plant was the first of all trees or shrubs to worship Christ. The rapid growth of the acacia and its beauty ha have also caused it to be regarded as emblematic of facility and generation. The symbolism of the acacia is susceptible to the four distinct interpretations. One, that is the emblem of the vernal equinox, the annual resurrection of the solar deity. Two, under the form of the sensitive plant, which shrinks from human touch. The acacia signifies purity and innocence, as one of the Greek meanings of its name implies. Three, it fittingly typifies human immortality and regeneration under the form of the evergreen which represents the immortal part of man which survives the destruction of his visible nature. Four, that is the ancient and revered emblem of the mysteries, candidates entering the inner entering the, fort, the torturous passages in which the ceremonials were given, carried in their their hands branches of these sacred plants or small clusters of sanctified flowers. I'm almost done. Albert G. Mackey calls attention to the fact that each of the ancient mysteries has its own peculiar plant sacred to the gods and goddesses in whose honor and rituals were celebrated. The sacred plants were later adopted as a symbol of the various degrees in which they were used. Thus, in the mysteries of Adonis, lettuce was, was sacred. And in the Brahmin and Egyptian rites, 
the lotus, among the druids, the mistletoe, and among the and among certain of the Greek mysteries, the myrtle. As the legend of Hiram Abif is based upon the ancient Egyptian mystery ritual of the murder and resurrection of Osiris, it is natural that the sprig of acacia should be preserved as symbolic of the resurrection of Hiram. The chest containing the body of Osiris was washed ashore near the, near the Biblos and lodged in the roots of a tamarisk or acacia, which, growing into a mighty tree, enclosed within its trunk the body of the murdered god. This is undoubtedly the origin of the story that, sprang, that a sprig of acacia marks the grave of Haram. The mystery of the evergreen marking the grave of the dead sun god is also perpetuated in the Christmas tree, which I mentioned earlier. The apricot and quince are familiar yonic symbols, while, the, while a bunch of grapes and a fig are phallic. The pomegranate is the mystic fruit of the Eleusinian rice. By eating it, Persephone bound herself to the realms of Pluto. The fruit here signifies the sensuous life, which once tasted temporarily drives man of immortality. Also, the count of its vast number of seeds, the pomegranate, was often employed to represent natural facility. For the same reason, Jacob Bryant in the ancient mythology notes that the ancients recognized in this fruit an appropriate emblem of the Ark of the Deluge. Which I'll, which I'll continue there for tonight. You know, I'll just stop there for tonight because I'm running out of time. We got like seven minutes. Yep. Uh, so I'm on page ninety, ninety six. I remember that. Yeah, I told you we can. I removed the troll. The troll was removed from the show. Yeah. When he wanted to go on, move on reading, he decided to try to change the topic again, so I removed him from the show, and then he hung up. Yeah, well. Yeah, okay. man. It's crazy. He, 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 he won't even look into the stuff that we're talking about. He says, oh, it's irrelevant. I'll just do it another time. But yet we're wrong about what we're talking about. Yeah, he, he, but yet he won't look into it. If you did look into if you give him any kind of links or any kind of sources, he'll just come back at you fucking just, he'll dismiss it within two seconds and start making controversy out of it, you know. He already yeah. knows how devil's advocates that he came on here and mocked it and laughed because it was all a joke to him. It was all fun and games. So, you know, so I did him a favor and I go, when you wanted to carry on with the show and he tried to hurry up and change the topic, I removed him from the show but he couldn't change the topic and went on and told you to go ahead on with your show so you would have no more interruptions. And then I uh, did him another favor. I went, I went and blocked him from Facebook so he won't be bothering me that in the morning. I've given oh, the yeah. guy more chance. Yep, I gave him gave him my personal number if he wanted to try to hash things out and talk and not be a troll. But I guess he thinks it's funner being a troll and it's funner playing games. So since it's funner playing games, I went ahead and blocked him from Facebook and removed him from the show tonight. And if he's listening, that's fine with me. Now you know that you're no longer on Facebook and you'll know that if you call into the show and try to play troll, you won't be here no more. You already know how that goes. I'll remove you immediately. 
If you show up on my live feeds up on, on YouTube and come into the chat as Rubber Wilbur and try to think you'll make controversy, I'll block you from there like I've done everything else, and I'll move on, and you won't even exist. That's how I play them games, because uh, this is the stuff that Warren's talking about, the stuff that I talk about. We're dead serious with what we're talking about. We don't go BS people. We're not playing games here. We're for real. And Warren's not going to play games, and I'm not here to play games, and if that's what you want to do, you don't need to be here. There you go. Yeah. So that's, well, that's about all I got to say about that guy. He, you know, he's followed me around for a bunch of years now. I mean, that's a good seven, eight years worth of following all over YouTube, trolling everything I did. So, you know, I mean, I could be more disrespectful, but I'm not. You know, if he launches another attack on me at all, I'll do the world a favor and show everybody what Brandon Kirk looks like. Because I've done the favor and saved the picture of him his Facebook account. Yeah. That's what it is, man. I ain't really putting no sweat on it, man. That's what it is. Yeah. Well, I don't get into it, you know. I just don't get into it. And I understood and know what the devil's advocate's about, and that's something you don't need. If somebody has an opinion, they can they're different than yours, they can... Freely voice their opinion. I have no problem with that. But to play a devil advocate means that you're going to go against anything that you don't want to hear, okay? Especially when it's true. And we don't need somebody in here slaughtering truth. Yeah. You live in a world. Yeah, that's it. Oh, think about it. We live in a world where everybody wants to lie, 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 lie. Well, when you're trying to wake people up and you're being honest about what you're saying, you don't want somebody coming in here trying to mess up everything you're doing. A lot of people are looking for instant gratification or looking for confirmation of what it is they already believe. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are going to do that. Well, but when they believe in a lie, you're not going to get confirmation on a lie. Yeah. Well, you're not going to get instant gratification if you're looking for the truth anyways. I mean... Not you know, like you heard us saying, knowledge speaks, but wisdom listens. Yep, that's it. I mean, it's, uh, it's what it is, man. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we got about a minute left, so we'll go ahead and cut it tonight. And uh, I'll be back here on Sunday night with Jerry and Monday night again with TFL Topics and I'll be here with Warren on Monday night, and Warren will be back here on Thursday night with his show, and he'll carry on right left off. That'll work. Okay, Warren, you all have a good one, then. You too. All right, good night. Good night.